Hi, everyone. This is Chander in Palo Alto. And hi, this is Arne in Oslo. Uh, this is Valley Nordic, a podcast about culture, technology, and business from Silicon Valley perspective and from um, Nordic perspective. So that's why Arne is in the Nordics and I'm in Silicon Valley. And we want to apologize. We are two days late or day and a half in publishing this episode. Normally we publish every other week on Thursday afternoon, Pacific time. Uh, but this time we wanted to do more homework since uh, what we are going to talk about requires homework. And I think it has a big potential of changing uh, things in the financial industry. Um, so that's why we are delayed, but hopefully you will find it worth the wait. <laughs> so the topic today is uh, buy now, pay later which is a new, relatively new idea um, where you can buy things and um, pay for them in installments without using a credit card. So there are companies popping up and we'll get into that that are doing this point of sale financing. Like when you go and buy something, you have the option to finance. So the structure we'll follow is you know what it is, uh, what's the history, why this is happening now, how it works, who are the main players. And then Arne has allowed me for some time to do box-free talking, so we'll pontificate about the future. How is that, Arne? I think that sounds wonderful. <laughs> okay, so let's start with, you know, what it is. So I... And let me start and then you can add, you know, um, uh, how you would describe it to somebody who has no idea what it is. So this is a new, I, I think, lingo or the term I uh, learned about while preparing for the podcast is BNPL, buy now, pay later. Uh, so the basic idea is when you go and buy something, and you don't have the cash or you don't want to spend the cash, instead of using a credit card, uh, you, there are companies like a farm in the US, they give you a payment plan. So let's say I'm buying something worth $100. Instead of paying it right away now, I can pay in $25 or four installments of $25 each with no interest. Uh, so for a user or consumer, the price remains the same and you don't pay interest. Um, and it happens at the point of sale. That is the general idea, like what that is. So Arne, what would you like to add? Yeah, no, I think that's a good description. I think it's, it's simply a consumer credit product that's an alternative to a credit card and you utilize it at the checkout at e-commerce, for example, instead of a credit card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, so the history of this is really interesting. It started in the Great Depression, so late 1920s in the US, um, the idea of buy now, pay later. But at that time, it wasn't credit-based. It was more uh, payment-based or uh, or let me share how it works. So let's say I wanted, and people didn't have money at the time. Uh, there were huge un unemployment. So let's say you wanted to buy something. You, and I don't think there were credit cards at the time either. So you went to the store and you made a down payment. So let's say same, it was some $100 item you wanted to buy. First, only few items were eligible for the layaway. It was called layaway. And then you took it to the counter and you said, I want to sign a layaway contract to buy this. So you put a down payment for that $100 item and then you agreed on a payment plan. And if you made all the payments on time, then you could 
uh, get that item either a month later or three months later, depending on what the contract was. But they charge you a fee at the time when you put it away. Uh, and there was cancellation fee. And if the loan was more than a month, there was another fee. So there were all these fees. So it was much more expensive for you to buy it. And you had to pay everything still in advance. But basically, you could put that item on hold and make smaller payments. So that was the idea. And it kind of went away with credit cards. Uh, so like you, nobody was doing it. And then it came back in the US in 2008. Uh, that was the financial crisis. Uh, so companies started doing it uh, again, the layaway plan, and also started doing it online. I think 2011 is when Walmart launched it uh, nationwide in the US and then Sears launched it back and like a lot of retailers did that. I think Kmart, et cetera. And uh, I'm not sure if they're still doing it because there are all these other companies where you can do um, BNPL rather than layaway. Uh, so that's the history. Um, so they were serving the market um, which you know, basically people who couldn't afford to pay in full. And this new market of BNPL is people who don't have the credit uh, or who may have bad credit or, or they don't like credit cards. Uh, yeah. Okay, anything you wanna add there to the history, Arne? Yeah, so it's, it seems to me that uh, the layaway approach was more PNBL, so pay now, buy later. <laughs> in a way so so the the bnpl is kind of an evolution of it um a, a couple of added points to it i think that's uh i mean this is all correct and it's a, it's a u.s centric story i think uh being in the nordics you know, we, we have to mention Klarna, Klarna and we can get back to Klarna, but Klarna was actually established in 2005 in, in Stockholm and came to sort of early prominence in 2008 and has been the, you know, the leader in the Nordics and then Europe in buy now, pay later. And, and always have come with that approach, without the, the layaway approach has ever been here, and I think the dynamics of why that happened is is, is somewhat different. Um, I think I think the the BNPL is has become super hot globally in the last couple of years, and it's an area of of uh, massive venture investment currently. Uh, and um, um, yeah, so it's it's kind of blown up uh, lately, and I think it's. Partially also like a Gen Z thing where, uh, you know, opposition to banks and credit cards, and this is a, just an easier way of dealing with credit. Yeah. So why, so let's get in more into why. Um, once we covered the history and you started that already, Arna. So why is it that Gen Z are against credit cards? You don't, you know, if you have the, income you don't you know you can still pay 30 days later and pay in full that it's convenient like what so i i read that in a few places that oh people just don't like credit cards um why is that is it the fees fees i understand but beyond that what um well, I think this is a very complex issue. Um, it's it's true though that um, if you look at the NPS score of credit cards, uh, banks and credit card companies, they have prim uh, them and the cable. I'm not uh, talking particularly the US. The cable companies, the banks, and the credit card companies are the companies with the lowest NPS. Net promoter score, which is essentially means that their customers hate them, mm -hmm. and 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 so there's some way of dealing with the customers that the customers don't like, and I think there's some level of well, you know, there's 
less to deal with with other user experiences and buy now pay later is one of those mm -hmm. um, yeah it's uh, <laughs> at least for a farm the the loan people get is from a bank they're just in the middle so you're still dealing with the bank <laughs> so uh, but that I think that's a box-free discussion we can have another time. But I'm curious to dig deeper into that. Like, why would? But I, I, I think it depends on uh, also the the payment structure, right? So I buy now, pay later. Most of the packaging is an interest-free packaging, right? Mm -hmm. And. Um, credit card debt is very expensive. Mm. Um, and if you don't pay off your balance or if you need credit beyond the payoff date, it seems to be a cheaper option to the consumer to have a buy now, pay later approach. Of course, that depends a little bit on the four payments and the timing of that relative to the timing of uh, revolving credit. Uh, which is what the credit card is. Secondarily, you can actually do um, buy now, pay later on top of your revolving credit, right? So if you're already in debt from a credit card perspective, mm -hmm. if you were to buy more things uh, and add that to your credit card, your interest fees would go up. Whereas if you buy that on a buy now, pay later, that is an interest-free payment. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, I was talking more like psychologically, the Gen Zs are against uh, banks and credit cards, regardless of this, you know, uh, the, uh, what, how they treat people, etc. But we exactly, but, but I think I think that's a complex story, right? It could be everything from bad experience as a young person with debt, or it could be anything from, you know, um, yeah, opposition to banks from the financial crisis 2000 and 2008-2009. You, you know, there are loads of reasons why people don't like banks. Yeah, so that that's what I want to get deeper into. I like complex stories. <laughs> but I think one thing you were uh, hinting towards or saying is the deceptive tactics banks and credit card companies have used in the past, which people hate. Nobody likes to be screwed over. Um, so common ones have been late fees. If you are, you know, one day late, it's like $35 fee. And then the whole, they charge you interest uh, and something like that. There's no empty for, you know, sometimes people can be late or uh, it, things happen in people's life. Then second, the zero person interest, which is a common, like probably the most common marketing tactic used in uh, credit card marketing. So, oh, get, you know, don't pay any interest for 12 months or whatever, X number of uh, uh, months. But, but if you are, you know, uh, let's say you're late in one payment after those 12 months or within that 12 month, then you pay like compound interest going back to the day you got the card. So that can add up to, you know, a lot of money. And of course, people would hate that. <laughs> so that's, and the interest rate, I think financial literacy in the U.S. is uh, not as high. So they never advertise what, you know, uh, the rate is. It's always in the fine print. It's like 20, more than 20%. Some cards have like 29% interest rate. It's insane. Uh, but, you know, so that these are some of the reasons why this is uh, popping up or might be the reasons that this BNPL is happening um, because, people don't like to be screwed <laughs> and they think all the banks and credit card companies uh, were screwing them. But ironically, 
these bank, what at least were a farm is a big player in the US. What they're doing is, uh, you know, the loan they give you, one third of the loans they give out are interest free. So the, like they're going after this mindset, okay, no late fee and um, no interest. So no hidden fees. So, so people, they want to build trust, which has been lacking with the banking industry. Um, right, well, so, so I, I completely agree with um, everything you say, mm-hmm. um, but there are a number of factors that sort of add up to this. So if I should add a few things to this, yeah. mm-hmm. um, one other thing is that when you, uh, you know, buy something on a credit card, the credit card company makes money two ways. One is what's called interchange, which is essentially a fee they get from the merchant. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be two and a half percent or something in the US um, f- for the transaction itself. So that's something the merchant pays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the credit card company makes money on interest on uh, you know, the revolving credit you have or you know, the balance to transfer between months or whatever you should call it, right? So, yeah. the, so the, the, the model that uh, the credit card uses is partially paid by the merchant and partially paid by the, by the uh, consumer. In, in the buy now pay uh, later or BNPL, um, the fee from the merchant is bigger. So essentially transfer more of the payment for the credit from the consumer to the merchant. And so in theory, it's therefore a better deal for the consumer. So it could be 3% or 4% or 5%, something like that. So it's typically a higher... I don't know if you formally call it interchange when it's a buy now, pay later, because it's it's structured slightly differently. But but the, the fact is is that merchant is the main source of income unless there are late fees, which the objective is to avoid in a buy now, pay later approach. So I think I think that's one one element of it. Mm-hmm. I think if if you shift it away from a US centric story. Mm-hmm. Why did Klarna take take off in the in the Nordics and and later in in Europe? Well, that's that's a very different story, um, because um, when you use credit cards, there is a certain amount of transactions that are fraudulent, uh, and typically the credit card companies picks up the tab for this simply because you know you don't want to have people screwed over by fraud. Uh, and to avoid further fraud in, the, in Europe, uh, the regulator and, and, and the credit card companies decided to implement two-factor authentication for, for authenticating transactions. So this is something called 3D Secure or verified by Visa, or I can't remember what MasterCard is. Essentially, uh, it adds friction to the checkout process. And the European credit card companies just completely botched this as they launched. So the user experience was terrible. People had to authenticate in a way that they, you know, uh, a hardware code uh, calculator that didn't have when they did check out. Uh, I know for a fact there was a time period where the biggest e-commerce uh, players in Norway had 50% abandoned transactions. Wow. Uh, uh, and what did Klarna do? Well, they had a checkout process that was smooth and simple and very little friction and just gained tremendous amount of transactions simply by having a better, less secure, mind you, but easier checkout experience. So, you you, you know, low friction US wins over security every time. And this is part of the reason why they have not implemented these sorts of security features on e-commerce in the US, because it's better to have a percentage of fraudulent transactions, but not having abandoned transactions but that's why it took off in in the nordics and europe simply because user experience was much better so the klarna uh, you know product works both online and offline or it's mainly online it's primarily an online thing because the friction has not been so much um uh, offline because people show up and they have a credit card and they use chip and pin and, and that's been you know you rarely abandon a transaction when you're in a physical store 
this was this is primarily an online problem. So uh, and and if I should add one more thing to it is that I think that there's this ad additionality, right? Uh, merchants and and the economy runs off transactions and and people trading, and and I think just having more options and maybe to some extent added credit just drives more transactions. So I think I think the um, the two options actually drive a larger market for e-commerce and, and brick and mortar. Uh, and so there's just more credit, which means that people buy more and that means merchants sell more. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's this add additionality that essentially also expands the market. Yeah, it's so Ken, thanks for sharing that. It's, you know, that's why we are Nordic, uh, very Nordic, so we get both perspectives. So how is the Klarna UX different than a credit card based purchase UX online? The, the difference is smaller now, but, but let's go back uh, eight years or whenever this was the biggest problem, right? Mm -hmm. you, you went to an um, e-commerce site, you put something in your cart and you went to check out, right? Yeah. Um, and it says, how do you want to pay? And you say, well, I want to pay by Visa card. Yeah. Okay, pun punch in your card number and your expiry date and, you know, the CVC or whatever it's called. The, yeah. Um, and then in Europe, and it, it's still this case, it says, okay, we'll add you to this loop called 3D Secure. And now you have to authenticate that you are who you are. <laughs> uh, uh, and and to, today that typically would be that there's pops up something on your smartphone and you do if it's an uh, iPhone it's um, it's face ID and transaction goes through uh, but back in the day that uh, authentication loop didn't exist uh, but it would say okay find your um, uh, people in in Norway and Sweden and Denmark and so forth have a hardware dongle uh, that has a one-time password that fits uh, you, you use for online banking. Now you can also use the phone and so forth. But at that time, that was the main way of. In in the US, sim, similar things were used for uh, for online. Uh, well, sorry, for enterprise. RRS dongle. So it's it's a very similar approach. But the, but the problem is that okay, so say you're on. On the airport, you're buying a plane ticket, right? And mm -hmm. your RSA dongle, although it wasn't produced by RSA, was at home. You have to buy a ticket, and this thing pops up and says, put your one-time password from your RSA dongle in, and you go, I can't buy the, buy the ticket. I'm screwed. You get pissed off, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and likewise, even if the situation is not as critical, you just abandon cards because you can't complete the transaction. Now, yeah. here, Klarna comes in and, and says, okay, our plugin in is put in your phone number and your email address. Mm -hmm. Once you do that, you have credit. Mm -hmm. No two-factor authentication, no one-time passwords, no nothing. And and so essentially, the, 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 there are two options on the checkout. The one has a very low bar to clear, and the other one has a massive bar and sometimes an impossible bar. You always go through the... <laughs> you, you, you choose the easier route, right? Yeah. So they would, let's say I'm checking out, I would pick Klarna, but I would still pay by credit card. Like no, 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 no. You get an email afterwards with an invoice and you pay. Ah, and what is the contract between Klarna and the customer? Like, what if I don't pay or can I pay over time or how much time do I have? Is there interest? Well, when this started, mainly you paid on a 14-day one off, but of course, then okay, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it evolved from there, and they said, you know, okay, you can do it over two or four or whatever, um, uh, different payments over time, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, that's, I mean, it, it's really interesting. I didn't know that's how it started. <laughs> so, do you know what is their collection rate? Like, are they able to collect? Or well, it might have changed. Now they have multiple products, but 
I think Nordics in general, I would, you know, are honest people. So they... Uh, well, the, the, collection rate, the collection rate has been very high, but it varies from country to country. Yeah. Um, and, and Glana was profitable for a number of years until they started, uh, you know, raising a lot of money and expanding into the US and other places. But the, 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 the transparency uh, yeah. in the Nordics is just much bigger than in other markets, right? Yeah. Same in, in Norway, which is probably the most transparent country, right? Your your tax return for all citizens is public, mm. um, and um, and obviously you have a reasonably well known personal identification number. Um, there are much more databases to look up into, and it's also a country where it's everything is electronic and it's very hard to hide. Mm. Therefore, the data to do a credit evaluation uh, is very good. Mm -hmm. That is obviously different from country to country. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Thanks, Arna. So let me add uh, three things here. One, <laughs> I'm like <laughs> surprised that the merchants would not know like this basics of consumer behavior that this, you know, what they implemented 3D or whatever it was, it, people won't like that. <laughs> but, but it was it was regulatory demanded by, uh, of the credit card industry to drive fraud down. So the government imposed it on the credit card industry or the... the e EU did. Oh, okay. So EU doesn't know what people, how consumer behaves. No, the uh, consumer behavior is not the strength of the European Union. <laughs> and they are the ones doing <laughs> the regulation now for AI, privacy, everything. <laughs> yeah, okay. Then I think... The, the EU does not know that people don't like to answer the question, would you like to allow all the cookies on this site? That's the effect <laughs> of GDPR. <laughs> Okay, that, now I'm less you know, surprised. That, I understand EU doesn't know, but merchants, I was kind of surprised. Really. Why would they do that? They, they are in the business of making money. Uh, okay, so that was one. Second, I think in the US, uh, or before I get there, let me add, the whole, like in early days, people started, you know, accepting people, meaning merchants started accepting credit cards um, and start paying fees, which can be up to 5% if you include everything they pay, um, because it added an increased sales and the profit from those increased sales in aggregate was much higher than the 5% fee they were paying for credit card transactions. So it increased their sales volume. And I think Arne was implying or saying the same thing with additionality with this buy now, pay later, they can increase the sales even more because that population of uh, who doesn't want credit cards or hates banks or cannot afford it or have bad history, et cetera, has increased in the last you know, 10, 20 years. So merchants can have higher sales. Absolutely. Uh, or maybe even people have maxed out their credit limit, right? Yeah. But yet you get credit for this purpose because it doesn't yeah. uh, directly go under your credit limit. Yeah. And the third point I want to add is the price integrity. So think from a, you know, merchants want to sell and they, and, you know, they can sell the same product ideal in an ideal world from a merchant point of view they want to sell the same product to different people at different price. But in reality, it doesn't work that way. If you discount it, then every who can afford a higher price also gets it at a discount. So with this, you know, uh, um, buy now, pay later, 0% interest uh, for up to, I think it's a month or three months, that's, the merchant gets to keep the price integrity. They don't have to lower the price and get incremental sale. So what's happening is the interest 
that the consumer would have paid to a credit card company to get the uh, product. Now the merchant is paying that interest to keep the price integrity uh, for the product. So it, uh, there's a shift from consumer to merchant on paying interest. But in this whole equation, it just, it, somebody, banks are still making money. It's now, it's coming from a different pocket. Yeah, so those are the things um, I wanted to add to Arna. Uh, good, very good description of how things are in um, Europe. Can you talk, Arna, for a few minutes about Australia? This afterpay is a similar idea, like a firm. It's a company based out of Australia. And they became very popular, and I read. Australia is more mature market for this buy now, pay later. So how did that happen? Was it some regulations? How did Australia of all places become like a market leader in buy now, pay later? Well, I have to say I can talk more from first-hand experience in the Nordic than I can from Australia. It's still <laughs> very far uh, far away from the, from the Nordics. But, but my um understanding is that um that it was just um also just very uh, early out uh, testing this out and and i think it has to do with uh, uh just finding new ways of uh, uh solution that that fits with consumer behavior right and and i think uh, credit cards uh as not as a, um, broadly available to all parts of the population, right? And so there's there was a demand, and so so it's a much bigger thing in Australia and has been for a long time. And Afterpay um, was just acquired by, which Afterpay is also one of the leaders in this market that have expanded outside of the home market of Australia, and has become um, a, or were acquired by Square for twenty twenty nine billion dollars just uh, maybe a month ago or something like that. It was a list company on the Australian Stock Exchange and, and acquired for a 30% uh, premium on on the, the, the price on the market. Yeah, so it's um, mainly one, they started early. Credit cards were not as popular. Um, those were the two main reasons. Was there any regulation that helped or? I, I, I think there is regulation. So the thing is that the credit card industry is uh, a, a more established industry, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, more because of the size and the, uh, the fact that it's established, um, it's also to a large extent regulated. And that means that the ability to, to uh, innovate and do new things is less simply because you have to get approval to do a lot of things. Now, I'm not an ex expert on Australian regulation, but I think I think that is also marginally part of the of the um, of the story here. And, and uh, if if you look into the um, the situation comparing the U.S. to the Europe or the Nordics, which I know more about, the credit card industry is more regulated in in Europe. And I believe it's slightly more regulated in Australia as well. Um, in uh, as I said beforehand, the credit card industry in the US have interchange, which is depends on 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 the type of card and and so forth. But let's say two and a half percent more for Amex, um, and uh, and and that's a big source of income to the credit card industry in the US, mm -hmm. uh, which means a lot of that comes back to consumers by having free cards. Um, you know, no annual fees. No annual fees is what I mean by that, and insurance is included, and uh, uh, as well as as you know, uh, reward programs and this sort of thing. In in Europe, the credit card industry is regulated more, with a view to protect uh, merchants, which means that the the interchange is, is regulated so that it has much smaller say 1% instead of 2.5%, which means that cards are more expensive to consumers and there are more, less benefits uh, bundled. And of course, if you then 
do an alternative approach that's not regulated, you can find uh, a larger room to um, to innovate and therefore uh, present more more advantages to either consumers or merchants by doing so. And I think that's that's the case both in Europe and in, in Australia. Hmm. Wow. So that I think. <laughs> Uh, fundamental difference in regulatory approach I see between US and Europe. And we are seeing that with, you know, what's happening with going after big tech. Like in the EU, you protect the merchant uh, as well, in addition to well, less consumer, more merchant. In the US, it's, you know, the opposite. The, you know, no, or has been, we'll see it might change now with what's happening in the, you know, Apple App Store, et cetera. It's basically, it's more business side of thing, but consumers are protected with, uh, I forget the name of the agency, Consumer Protection Agency, something like that, where, you know, but <laughs> despite all this protection, people are still getting screwed by the credit card companies with you know these 0% offers that retroactive interest going back to when you got the loan with if you make one late payment then the whole deal is off you have to pay all interest like oh, all that still happens despite all the protection um, I, th I think when things get highly regulated what happens is that uh, sometimes these are speed bumps to in innovation, but sometimes they're also um, makes innovation happen because you still want to, you know, win business, and and the consumer can vote with their wallet essentially, but you also have to innovate to get around regulation to hit um, to to build a service that uh, is attractive to all the players in the market. But this BNPL is giving the consumer money to put in their wallet so that they can vote with their wallet. <laughs> yes, yes. But then, then it, it depends on what sort of regulatory approach you have, right? Um, in a free market regulatory approach, this is very good for the consumer, right? Uh, if, if you take a very... Um, aggressive approach to regulation, you want to protect the consumer from the consumer himself or herself uh, and and be having too much uh, cheap credit easily available actually puts a lot of people in debt as well right and and I think that's the sort of the not that I'm proposing that you know people shouldn't make up their own mind and have the freedom to do so but I think there is clearly a, a downside to this as well that people don't actually think ahead and, and end up with too much debt. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you wanna add more to how it works or do you think we covered it, um, this whole, you know, the payment rails and the interest rates, uh, et cetera? I, I think it's, uh, I think we covered most of it. I think one point to add to that is that, um, credit card payments have like old and established rate, the rails, um, where you have issuing banks and acquiring banks and uh, companies like Visa and MasterCard providing the overall infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. which, which in some ways serves well and is, um, has proven to generate enormous volumes over, I don't know, 50 years or whatever. Um, when you the, the B, BNPL companies typically don't use these rails, have their own checkout experience, mm -hmm. and uh, you know essentially builds an infrastructure of merchant, um, credit company, and consumer, and and by not running on established rails, there's also more room to inno innovate from a technical. Yeah, um, I think I should also mention like, 
we kind of lost you, Arne, but I was going to add to what you said that if you look at the bigger picture, the financial industry is changing. We may hear the term, I think we may have covered FinTech, that infrastructure that was built in last you know, 50, 60 years, credit card, there's payment rails, et cetera, it hasn't really changed much in last 10, 20 years. So I see there's huge opportunities. Square is another company which I think is very innovative. They found cool ways to expand this credit card acceptance to millions and millions of uh, merchants which they didn't have available before. And also they reduced the time, you know, it took for them to get the money. Like it used, I forget the numbers, but basically it used to take long time for them to get the money for which people paid with credit card and uh, Square made it much faster. So that's, I think there, I see a synergy between Square and Afterpay helping the merchants increase sales, but you know, valuation 29 billion, I don't know if it's worth it or not, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, it's, um, I completely agree. I think <laughs> um, it, there's just so much room to innovate and FinTech is obviously one of the areas of lots of investment and great um, uh, activity. I think the market um, reacted very positively to the Square uh, the Afterpay acquisition by Square. But of course, you know, like everything, big acquisitions, you have to execute afterwards as well. Yeah. So we talked about three, four big players, Klarna, Afarm, Afterpay. Are there other players uh, you want to mention? Um, I know there are a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Um, th these are the ones that I'm, uh, I'm most familiar with. Uh, Klarna is obviously the one that's closest to heart here because it's the Nord Nordic's biggest unicorn, uh, valued at $46 billion on the last uh, fundraise this year when SoftBank came in. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a company called uh, OpenPay. There's a company called Zip. Um, and, and there's um, other... Uh, let's say more traditional companies are also launching pay now, uh, buy now, pay later. So PayPal, for example, and also uh, established banks. I know that uh, Apple, Apple is working with Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs have a consumer bank called Marcus that is also behind the Apple credit card. Mm -hmm. And they are looking to launch a buy now, pay later service. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those are the sort of top of mind. That the way that I think about it, there are Klarna is the big European company that's also in the US now. A firm is the big US company, and Afterpay was <coughs> uh, Australian, which is now bought by Square. So yeah, I think that's um, the main lay of the land if if I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, there was another, thanks for that, Arne. I'm actually excited about Apple. I, I think I remember mentioning it in one of the podcasts. I really like Apple Pay or Apple Card. I mean, the whole user interface, the approach is not to screw the customer, which is, you know, great. <laughs> um, but another company... And, and they don't ask for your one-time password from the RSA calculator. <laughs> yeah um so another approach similar idea but different approach i found uh, was with this company catapult k-a-t-a-p-u-l-t so that's lease to own so you can you know um get the uh, whatever thing you are want to purchase, but you can lease it uh, with monthly payments and return it back, or you have the option to own it. So it's lease to own option. Um, so that's 
also uh, interesting, I thought I mentioned. Okay. And, and there are also a couple of sort of, um, uh, so when there's innovation like this, there are also sort of things converging. So one of the developments, if you look at the credit card industry is that um, as you know, you have Apple Pay and Google Pay and these sorts of things that, you know, essentially is uh, ways of paying with a credit card, but it becomes a virtual credit card on your phone. Um, the credit card industry is, is moving towards more virtual credit cards. And that means that instead of one big chunk of revolving credit associated with the physical credit card, you you issue credit cards that are for special purposes, only works in this store or only works this month or can only be used for this sort of expense. And, and some of these sort of approaches to virtual credit cards starts approaching more to buy now, pay later, because you can have um, credit that is more targeted, just like the buy now, pay later, which is essentially a payoff plan on a specific good or service. Yeah. Um, in case of Klarna, what happens if you don't make the payment? Uh, I haven't tested it, but there are some late fees if you don't pay on on your payment plan. And I assume it's, um, it's sent for collection if you never pay. Okay. Um, in case of a firm, I saw they reported to the credit agency if you don't pay. Um, yeah. So there is still some stick, like, you know, there, and of course, next time you want to buy something, they may not lend you the money because you didn't pay or you were late or whatever. So they're building profile on you. But I think other uh, thing they're doing at least a firm which is better UX is you get approved right away. Like they don't even ask for full social security, last four digits. Um, so in a minute, a few minutes, you get approved and that's, I think, one-time thing. Then you have an account with them, et cetera. Uh, and then they're building a profile. Um, I don't fully... I didn't dig deep enough into what exactly they're extracting with that limited uh, information they get. But I think that's enough for the purchases you're making. And one third of their purchases are no interest. Like, um, and it's the plans they have currently are one month, six weeks and three months, I may be having it wrong, but, I, but it's limit. It's not like you can pay it over five years. It's generally short period of time. They may have launched a one year one, but most of them I think were for a short period of time. Um, okay, Any? shall we pontificate my favorite part? Feel free. <laughs> you have to participate. <laughs> so what what happened next? So they're all you know these companies trying to solve the same problem. And technology wise, I don't see much differentiation. Differentiation would be in a brand or number of users, who is ahead lead. Like let's play forward, you know. Uh, five, 10 years, what happens? Like credit cards disappear? Uh, how do they, who wins? Or they just have geographical leads in separate markets? Um, what happens? Like, I don't see like a clear differentiation. Like, well, how would you say, oh, this is Afterpay is so different than a firm. Uh, I think Afterpay only offered one month uh, payment plan, but you know, whatever is different can be easily copied. It's basically a different plan. Really? So, so if, if I were to say, I think there, um, I, I don't think this is a winner takes it all. I think there will be competition for consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't see that 
you know, in five years, we have no credit cards and it's all uh, buy now, pay later. I, I think there will be multiple winners. I think uh, credit cards will continue to do well. I think people will be more in debt, which has continued <laughs> to increase, which has continued to increase for, but it's, it's been a continuous increase for 30 years. It will not stop. But I think the, the numbers I saw was that the buy now, pay later, the reason why there's so much investment is that it's still 3% of consumer credit. So I think consumer credit overall will continue uh, to increase. I, thought, wait, uh, I think what I read was 3% of overall e-commerce sales, not consumer credit. Uh, yeah, sorry, e-commerce. But, but, but the point is, it's still a small yeah. proportion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so... I think consumer credit will continue to increase and buy now, pay later will take a larger share of the, of the consumer credit simply because consumers like it because it's cheaper credit and merchants pay more. Mm -hmm. But I don't think one will kill the other. I think there will just be more and more of buy now, pay later. Yeah. And how will they differentiate from each other? Like Klarna versus, let's say, Afterpay or a firm. Like what? <laughs> well, I think I think there will, you know, there's a price element, there's a UX uh, element, mm -hmm. and I I think the difference will be somewhat limited, just like it is today with credit cards. But there's enough room for all of them. Mm -hmm. It's, I think the. Um, I, I don't know why what's happening in China is not influencing what's happening here. I mean, there the Alipay um, or Ant, which we covered, had something similar. You could get personal credit and do whatever you want uh, with it, buy, etc. Um, so they kind of changed. They didn't have the payment rails of Visa, MasterCard, MX. So they just built it with QR codes, their own, um, I don't know if you would call rails, but a way to transact for everybody. And now they process more than Visa, MasterCard combined, uh, just in China. So why is that not happening here? Just have a QR code so all the merchants can like, let's say I have an Affirm account. Why isn't Affirm giving QR code to all the merchants? You just scan it and that's it. You get automatically uh, paid uh, or get the buy now, pay later, check that option or something like that. I'm curious. But, but why? Because most people are clumsy with QR codes and they're not as... You, you know, in, in China, they implemented the QR codes and people got trained using them before they had the, the uh, whatever it's called, uh, the inductive RFID mm -hmm. tap, the tapping yeah. uh, point of sales, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and tapping is easier than QR code scanning, right? People, mm -hmm. this is why I'm saying UX wins, right? People transact the easiest way. Yeah, yeah, but you can avoid, the point is you can avoid the payment rails. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I see these guys, you know, firm, etc. Um, finding a way to avoid the payment rails in the physical world. Like right now, they're avoiding it in the online world because it's connected. You can, you know, just go uh, to your firm, a firm account, and see what your history is and you approved or denied. Uh, so you don't need to use Visa and Mastercard Rail. Uh, the, the thing, the thing is that if you look at it today, today what happens? Well, you know, if you're a big merchant, you have a, a point of sale system right yeah. uh, and this is this is essentially paid for by the merchant bank and the merchant bank uh gets paid when things go on the visa mastercard rails or the, including you know, amex and, and and the rest right 
uh, if it's a small merchant, it's Square um, or something similar, right? But Square can easily now plug in the, the um, afterpay approach as, as a separate rail. But, but yeah. if you look at uh, brick and mortar, it's about getting into the point of sale system and you don't want to have multiple point of sale systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but uh, like an Apple Pay, mm-hmm. integrate you know because of the tapping uh, essentially talks to the point of sales, mm-hmm. and you could have a buy now pay later in in Apple Pay. So it's it's about winning that integration into transacting with a point of sale system. But that's you know what I thought was the beauty of what's happening in China. You eliminate point of system. Uh, point of sale system altogether. You use your phone as point of sale system. Yeah, but phone to phone QR codes is not as easy as tapping. Yeah, but it's pretty, like I've used it many times. It, it's faster than using a credit card that's, uh, you know, um, you swipe it, it prints out the receipt, you sign it. And it's <laughs> that QR code phone to phone is much faster. Um, uh, but I think it's a lot of the forces here. <laughs> uh, they have control over or hold over the market and there it was white space. So it was easy to grab. Similarly, like, you know, Square went after merchants who didn't have it. It's much harder to change people who currently have a point of sale system to replace that with Square than people who actually don't have it. So it's, um, I think the market dynamics are different, but I see that is possible that you just eliminate the point of sale system and get rid of the whole Visa MasterCard thing uh, in the physical world. Yeah, I think um, I stand by my original view. It's it's price and it's user experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's there, of course. It's who is making money and who who is providing better experience. That's what changes if this yeah. uh, uh, you know happens. Okay, one more thought I have is why aren't the big um, retailers are doing it themselves? It's basically you are the one sitting in the middle of like a firm is not taking any you know risk. It, the bank is taking the risk. The loan comes from a bank, not from them. So why can't Walmart and you know Amazon or whoever, a firm by the way, signed a deal with Amazon, it was announced yesterday. Now you'll be able to pay for stuff. Buy stuff with the money you don't have on Amazon. Um, the so why aren't they doing it themselves? Like they have enough volume of customers, and they have enough money. Like just keep it in house. So I, I think uh, the um, you know building the the checkout user experience, you you have to do that properly to get it right. But for somebody who has as much resources as Walmart and Amazon, that should be possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and capital, I think Walmart and Amazon and Apple for that matter, have better access to capital than the firm and probably <laughs> than most banks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the, the hard part of what they do is a a consumer credit risk model, mm-hmm. which is probably what, which I know is what Klarna and the firm and these guys have worked a lot on, right? And that's not something that any merchant, even a big one, can sort of build overnight uh, and get great. I think, you know, Amazon probably could if they spend enough time on doing it. But it's not a, a trivial task. Yeah, but it's, you know, we are talking 10 years ahead. It's totally doable. These every all of these guys did it in the last 10 years. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, we, they have to have their own reasons, but I see that's another possibility. You can just go um, and do, the merchants can do it themselves. Uh, but the credit profile, there are many signals. If I'm a regular user of Amazon, they know I've been buying it for, there for 20 years. Um, what's my, um, but they may not know for the user who has no history. Uh, and where well, you can figure things out. But we'll see how it evolves. A few things I see in I there's probably one more element to it, and that is the regulation, right? Oh, do you yeah. wanna do you wanna you know expose your company to being regulated for this purpose? Mm -hmm. And what is the implication for the rest of the business? I, I don't know the answer to that, but that would be another consideration I would assume. Yeah. So another interesting thing I learned, uh, which is a farm has a partnership with catapult which is the lease company. So if they reject you, that you are somehow not eligible to get the loan, then they pass you on automatically to Catapult. That, you know, maybe you can lease it because they are willing to take more risk. So if you, and I think you pointed to this earlier, like the society we are building is, how can we make people have more stuff? give them money like what <laughs> it, how is that a good society where everybody just wants more stuff well that's uh, <laughs> that's the society that's been built for the last hundred years right a, a consuming society and that's what's driving growth yeah <laughs> you know is that a good thing <laughs> Well, growth is a good thing, but um, uh, creates employment and so forth. But, um, you know, now we're into a very different philosophical discussion. Yeah, that's quantification. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think about these things. Like, what, you know, you can look at it. Yeah, of course, you have a bias if you are, you know, a firm or Klarna founder, you're helping people, you're solving a problem. Klarna in your case was actually solving a problem, uh, making it easier for things. It wasn't a money issue. It was more, you know, UX issue, which, which makes sense. But the companies were, uh, yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> there's no clear answer. Like if people who have the money can get more money <laughs> with credit. People who don't have the money, they may need things and they cannot get the money. So this may be doing them a service, um, which is a good thing. Um, but I think what I worry about is, does it you know, create a society or mindset that you know, it's fine to just borrow money and buy stuff you don't need. If you are just buying stuff you need, then it's a very good thing. But then, you know, we can get into what do you need? What is the need? Oh, uh, yeah, oh, uh, of course. But this is, this is sort of one of the sort of fundamental questions of, you know, society and economy. But cons consumption drives growth. Growth drives employment. And employment helps people live better, right? But, uh, <laughs> You know, of course, you can take a different approach to that and say, well, you know, do, do people need to consume and, and uh, well, do they need to make that much money if they didn't consume so much? But, but that's what society has been geared towards. Yeah, I mean, that's the current system. <laughs> that's how it's been working for a while. But, uh, but people seem to be, you know, more unhappy they're more stressed, there's more anxiety, there are less strong relationships, there's less time. <laughs> uh, so they, the after effects of that or side effects uh, are large and I don't know if uh, EU or the US government, <laughs> who was thinking about that? There was some effort 
of you know doing uh, this gross national happiness. They, I think Harvard or somebody came up with this idea. Let's me- let's measure happiness instead of productivity or GDP. Um, but I don't know if it went anywhere. But, but I think I think the people who would be unemployed because of lack of growth would generally be unhappy about it. Yeah, but it's maybe you know it depends growth for <laughs> the problem we are seeing is growth is happening for people who have money. Rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer or staying the same. So overall it's growth, but not in the growth areas where we want it to be. So there are efforts in place. So it's more equitable or everybody gets to uh, participate in growth, but it hasn't worked out that way so far, at least in the US. You know, Europe is, Nordic especially, I think you have more, um, I don't know, what's the right word, but there is not as much poverty in the Nordics as in the US. Or yep. the gap is not as high between the rich and the poor. But it's growing everywhere, the difference. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if in uh, Africa, Asia countries, I think China has lifted a lot of people out of poverty. So they're maybe smaller, but they have also produced a lot of rich people. Uh, but there I see there's huge uplift, which hasn't happened anywhere else. You know, 600 something million people out of poverty in like 25 years. That's amazing. Okay, so I, I, I know this is, thank you for indulging me in pontification, Arne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Let's do that. Thank you. See you. Bye.